Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts uh, to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks, Zyler. Just to brag on this guy, he, he just turned 16, Zyler did. Uh, he had a goal. He, he knocked his mile time down from about six minutes per mile to, uh, it was probably 5.26 in the span of six weeks. And I don't know if you've ever run a mile and know how fast 526 is, but I was chasing him on a bicycle. His bicycle, a kid's bicycle. <laughs> so, well done, and thank you for reading. There's also a, uh, yeah. And kids, this is another thing. When I say amen, I'm going to hit a timer, and I'm aiming for a 23-minute sermon for your all's sake. And there's no money or wagers on the line, uh, but Anthony and I have a small challenge going on, so... Let's pray. And he's got his phone out, and I do too. So <laughs> Ken does too. All right. This is going to be fun. Jesus, thank you for your word, for your grace, your goodness, for what you are doing in our lives. The fact that we have reached this point is a miracle among miracles in itself. And so as we uh, look to turn our calendars over this year, would you prepare our hearts Lead us, guide us, mold us, and shape us into the image of our Savior, Lord, and friend, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. And start. Mark Norman, a, a great comedian, says this. It's that magical time of year when people think the date changing will improve their lives. This year, for me, uh, has been interesting. I started working on the side for a hospice company in June. And as people have come to know that fact, they ask, well, oh, how's hospice going? And there's no simple answer for that question. My role is coming alongside people who have uh, typically six months or less, less to live in providing spiritual care. I'm a chaplain for this hospice company. The best word I come up with is it's interesting. It's awkward, it's good, it's bad, it's sad, it's hard, it's easy, it's all these things. But in a nutshell, it's just interesting. And what I find most interesting about it is this, that I get a front row seat to what a life has become. The whole culmination altogether, this is it. Typically in a bed, waiting to die at varying speeds due to 
various illnesses. But it's what a life has become. The best of it, the worst of it, the sweetness of it, the bitterness of it all. And there's something interesting about the way that we perceive time and calendars and all of that, that today on New Year's Eve, there is this sense of evaluating our lives. What has been, what might be, what should change, what habits should stick, etc. And it is, in a lot of senses, we're talking about this early, earlier, arbitrary. A day shouldn't make a difference on, if you want to change, you can do that in August on the 13th, if you want. But for whatever reason, we go, New Year's, new me, gonna, gonna do some things. Okay, for me, this text has been on my brain. It's one of my favorites for the last couple weeks. And what we're gonna do is walk through the text, ask some questions, and then pray together. As Zyla read Colossians 3, 12 through 17, uh, Paul gives one of his kind of long lists of what Christians ought to do, engage in, how they ought to live, behave, etc. And we too easily can take this passage and just go, okay, here's a list of things I gotta do. We, if we do that, we forget that this comes on the heels of everything Christ has done. It is a pattern in Paul's writings that he does again and again, especially in Colossians and Ephesians, this pattern of setting before God's people the good news of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he's accomplished, and then what he invites us into and how to live. But the formula matters because he's not just saying, get to work, be better, try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He doesn't do that. He places before them the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus and says, because of this Savior, who he is and what he's accomplished, you are now invited into this kind of life. And that makes all the difference in following after Jesus. What Christ has done then leads us to live a certain type of life that is empowered by his Spirit. And this is what the text tells us in verse 12. Put on. It, it, I, as I've been ruminating on this text, it, the image of my own room and my little slice of closet that I have uh, comes to mind. And not little because my wife has more clothes. I probably have more clothes than, than she does. Uh, but we have a small closet. I get half, she gets half. And I look and it's this decision of what I'm going to put on in a given day. And every Sunday, I don't Pick, she does for me, in case you ever wondered. Uh, this doesn't happen from this brain. Um, but we have this choice, we have this ability to put on a certain kind of life, a certain way of being. And what it's supposed to flow from is who we are in Jesus. Notice the language. There's no guilting, shaming, shooting, if you would, on God's people. He says, you are chosen, you are holy, you are beloved. Christians, that is who you are in Jesus. The second that you trust in Jesus by faith, you're welcomed into his family. You are his child. You are chosen. You are beloved. And because of that put on, this is the type of person you and I can become. Fancy word for that is spiritual formation, our discipleship, 
the way in which we live. Dallas Willard says this, spiritual formation in a Christian tradition answers a specific human question, what kind of person am I going to be? It is the process of establishing the character of Christ in the person. And so you can look at this list that Zyla read earlier, and it can seem somewhat daunting. Or if you're like me and the way your brain works, you go, well, kind of doing all right on that one. We need to grow there and kind of use it as a little bit of a checklist. Patience, ooh, compassion. I, I am so bad at that. So not compassionate, so judgmental. But then you go, forgiveness, I, 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 I can't forgive. Again and again and again. But that's not the way that Paul is laying this out. It's simply the person and work of Jesus available and allowed in our lives. If you look at these lists, what Paul is simply describing is Christ himself. And the promises for follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus, is that as we follow after Jesus, we can become more like our Savior. Again, not out of grit and determination, but this posture of surrender and learning who he is and how he rolls in life. The character of Christ is available for his people today. Verse 12 through 15, again, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And so he's saying, be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving, bearing with. How do we do that? Again, it is by the person of Christ permeating the entirety of our being. As we look to Jesus, we become like Jesus. The only way in which John Wolfinger will grow in compassion as a human is by noticing and reflecting on the compassion of Christ that has been shown to me. And as I see and reflect on the compassion of Jesus, that by nature will make me a more compassionate person. If you are one who struggles to forgive, you hold grudges, you just ruminate on things, you kind of turn them in your head over and over, it keeps you up at night. The way in which you become a forgiving person is by reflecting on the forgiveness Christ has given you. By reflecting on who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and how he takes your sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says. You reflect on what Christ has accomplished in your life and throughout history and you go, huh, I, I think I can forgive that person again and again and again. I can take that sin that has been done against me and it doesn't have to hold sway in my life anymore. You can take that wound and allow Christ to begin making it a scar. It doesn't go away. You still feel it, notice it, and it has ramifications in your life, but you're no longer held by its power. How does one become humble? Well, surely you don't accomplish it and go, hey, pretty humble dude. Again, the process is reflecting on Jesus, who he is, how he rolled. The creator of everything came in the form of a human, walked among us, loved and served and gave. We reflect on that, you become like him. 
And this love, this agape love, the Greek word for it, binds everything together, and that is the foundational glue for following Jesus. And then this has been the phrase in my mind and heart for about the last month. It is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To indeed you were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I looked up this word last night, and uh, the, the Greek root is where we end up getting the word umpire. It was, in ancient Greek times, kind of uh, umpire, a referee, one who would decide actual physical battles between and make judgment calls in Greco-Roman wrestling way back when. Let the peace of Christ rule or be an umpire in your heart. Kent Hughes, a biblical scholar, says this, how much misery we would avoid if we permitted the peace of Christ to umpire in our hearts. How many words would we hold back if he were the arbitrator in our lives? How many sleepless nights we would forgo if we did that? How the church needs this too. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So what does this look like in the body? It's placing everything before who Christ is and his rule and reign is that of peace. Letting Jesus be the decider of everything in our lives. And I just want to place this before you. This is as far as I'll go for now. 2024 is not going to be a peaceful year in our country. I don't know if you know, there's an election coming up in November. But what I do know is that's going to be shoved down our throats on the daily as it already has been. And that type of fascination and fixation does not promote the peace of Christ in one's heart. However, in following Jesus, there is a way to navigate that well. And so, between you and Jesus and one another, let the peace of Christ rule and reign. If you find your blood pressure going up as you watch the news, turn off the news. If you find yourself getting angry and volatile based on what is happening at the national stage politically, big deep breath in your nose, out your mouth, pray, and turn off the dang news. I get off my soapbox. There's other things that have been ruling and reigning in the lives of God's people, and therefore the peace of Christ is not prominent. Whenever political, personal, or preferential things get placed on the forefront, then we miss out on what Christ has for us on the daily. And so how do we know uh, how Christ might decipher or decide something in our lives. And this is a fascination of me personally, of the conclusions that different people come to of the, it being Christian. Well, Christ would have me do this. Christ would have me do that. And you look at it and you're like, how could two people who are following the same Jesus come to such wildly different conclusions? Well, I think we get closer to the heart of Christ and knowing how Christ would decide something the more that we have verse 16 in our lives, and it is this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The way in which we can have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and Christ to be the arbiter, the umpire, the decider of things in our life is if we have his word dwelling in us. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if that's the case, then what he said then matters today 
and it's not going to change. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's word is multiple things, uh, and it is self-described in these kinds of ways, not going to be on the screen, but Psalm 119, 105. His word, a beautiful Amy Grant song, I've sung it to you before, I won't today. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I'm so tempted to, but I won't. Uh, so God's word is a lamp and it is light. God's word in Hebrews 4.12, it is uh, somewhat of a scalpel for the soul, the word of God is living, it's powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is the, the discerner of thoughts and intents of our hearts. So not only does God's word uh, illuminate our path and guide us down in life, it also dissects our souls sees where we're at, what needs to go, what needs to stay. It's as though when we read God's word, we're putting ourselves on the operating table and trusting him with our lives. And God's word is the primary weapon in the battle we are faced with daily that we don't necessarily see with our eyes. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And what is the weapon we have in that warfare as he's going through the armor of God in Ephesians 6.17, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so the way in which we do battle is not by might nor by power, to quote a minor prophet, but by his Spirit who has given us his Word. And so God's Word is a foundational building block for our lives. You, you got, like, the, the food pyramid, you know, which, again, don't get me started on all the silliness of the food pyramid, but the base building block, the most important thing of it, foundational, is God's word, Christ's word, dwelling in us richly, which then leads us to this one anothering in life. That if Christ's word is dwelling in us richly, that leads us to teach and admonish one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs that we sing, make melody with our hearts. It takes this all-of-life approach. Whatever we do in word or deed, we're doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What's striking to me in all of this is that there's this invitational aspect as a kid, I, I struggled and still to a certain degree struggle with this guilty conscience of all the things that I ought to be doing. And as time has worn on and this passage has sunk deeper into my soul and even reading it through the last few weeks, there's so much more of an invitational approach to this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Please don't hear me this morning going, well, this new year you have to read more. You have to, you have to, you have to. Let. It, it brings to mind Revelation 3.20 is Christ is admonishing the church in Laodicea who's neither hot or cold. He says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me me. There is this invitational approach that Jesus has with his people that is so kind and sweet and loving. He's saying, let me come in. 
Let me rule. Let me reign. See how I am. See how I roll. Experience his goodness in life and let it shape you and change you. It's not always the case, is it, in our hearts? Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite pastors of all time, says the Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. Jesus is the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus is the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians with whom I have worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. I think what he's getting at is Christians today are fine with facts about Jesus, but we struggle to follow him in the stuff of life. But it's a package deal. Jesus, yes, is truth, and Jesus offers life, and that comes through following him on the way. This is the type of people Christians are called to become. Now, realisticness of it all, to quote my friend Anthony, the process is glacial. In fact, here's, here's a small quote for you to add to your glacial uh, diatribe that you got. Uh, that, that's a little harsh. Your, your shtick, your thing, yeah. It's good. It's all good. It's not monotonous or boring or any of that. It's really, really good. James Houston, spiritual formation is the slowest of all human movements. And so there isn't a hurry in this, but we do need to be honest. How are we being formed? We are being formed. It's not if you're being formed. How are you being formed? And as you're being formed, into what? What is keeping us from being formed into the image of Jesus? There's a book coming out next year that I had the opportunity to read ahead of time by John Mark Comer called Practicing the Way. And the book is about spiritual formation And the subtext is being with, becoming like, and doing the things that Jesus did. And he says this. He quotes an old saying. He says, a black belt is just a white belt who never quit. A saint, therefore, is just an ordinary apprentice who stayed at it with Jesus. And what's remarkable is that real change can happen to real people over a long period of time with him. One of my favorite biographies is that of Josiah Henson. He was uh, the character from which Uncle Tom's Cabin, the book, was was built. He was a slave who escaped and became uh, a pastor and minister up in Canada. In the opening of his biography, to me, is one of the greatest paragraphs ever written. He says this, The story of my life, which I am about to record, is one of striking incident. Keener pangs, deeper joys, more singular vicissitudes, few have been led in God's providence to experience. As I look back on it through the vista of more than 80 years, and scene after scene rises before me, an ever-fresh wonder fills my mind. I delight to recall it. I dwell on it as did the Jews on the marvelous history of their rescue from the bondage of Egypt. Time has touched with its mellowing fingers its sterner features. The sufferings of the past are now like a dream, and the enduring lessons left behind make me praise God that my soul has been tempered by him in such a fiery furnace under such heavy blows. How does that happen? He was with his Savior, who led him, who guided him, who softened him. Jesus actually can sweeten us, make us change, and more 
like him. And so here's three things that I would encourage you in, even as we respond today. Number one, do a formation evaluation. What and how are you being formed? Second, audit your habits and practices. James Clear wrote the best-selling book, Atomic Habits. He says this, your current habits are perfectly designed to deliver your current results. True of all of life. And then finally, surrender. Because it's not something that you can muster up and be like, well, by this time next year, I'm going to be so much more like Jesus. No, the process is not one of control. It's one of surrender. It's one of continual and perpetual surrender to Jesus, to allow him in, to reorient, reshape, reorganize our lives around his love. And so evaluate how you're being formed, audit your habits and practices, surrender to Jesus, and see how he leads. Because again, all of us are becoming someone. Who is that? And who is Christ calling you to be? Let's pray. And so Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love, your presence and your peace that you offer us. As we now look to respond in light of your word, we ask that these things would become increasingly true in our lives. And that you, Jesus, would rule, reign, shape, and transform us. God, you would empower us to have a brutal honesty with where we're at, what we need, and that we would invite others into this process and that you, God, would make this church and these people a slightly more accurate representation of your Son, Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.